Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today's guest is Sharzad Bazadian, and she is an entrepreneur based in Los Angeles, and I'll let her explain more about what she does. Uh, it's a very interesting conversation. As I've recently come to the realization, everything becomes a metaphor for dance eventually, uh, and so my podcast is starting to talk a lot about dance. Uh, and Sharzad is a dancer. She's another fan of Rumi, uh, has a lot of wisdom to offer in this episode um, about a lot of different things. Uh, we talk a lot about sales. We talk a lot about her company, which is really interesting. Um, and we talk a lot about consciousness, uh, what it is, what's going on, what's life about, what's dance about. Uh, so a lot of different stuff here. Uh, and I just want to and I want to let you guys know I've started something uh, really interesting and I want to invite you to come join. It's free for now. Uh, I'm doing breathwork sessions throughout the day. Uh, so I'm just 10 minutes long and they're on Zoom. So anybody around the world can come join. Um, yeah, they're totally free for now, although I probably will start charging it at some point. Um, and it's really valuable for mental health. Uh, one guy I've been doing it with, uh, Dan, uh, has done it four times already um, and it's really good for recentering yourself quickly like you only need a couple minutes to find yourself back into a good state of mind if you're working for four hours at a time you probably want to look at that and maybe uh, take a take a change uh, it's really helpful we can do sprints uh, I mean if you're programming maybe you do like to work three times three hours a day three hours at a time uh, maybe that's helpful for it uh, but you can always use a 10-minute break uh, and a 10-minute guided break. And basically what breathwork means is for about, I mean, I've been doing breathwork for about 15 years. Um, first started in yoga classes, uh, and then there was a period of about two years where I went really deep on uh, the various practices of breathwork. Uh, and so I've uh, accumulated a lot of techniques. Uh, and the important thing I want to make clear, um, which was hard for me to understand, is that uh, I have plenty of techniques and I make up a lot of techniques and uh, uh, the techniques are great, uh, but they're not the whole thing. You really wanna look at the holistic understanding of what's going on. Uh, so while I am offering these techniques, I wanna make it very, very clear that they are not the goal. Um, they are a way to help us kind of figure out where the goal is. They're a pointer to the goal. Um, so we, we, we wanna, techniques are great. Uh, and I want to offer these techniques, uh, but just I want, just want to make it clear that, that uh, the technique is not the goal itself. Um, and what is the goal? That's something only you can figure out, um, and you might not even need a goal. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you want to bring some more calm and relaxation into your day, please uh, reach out on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, III. You can send me a DM there. Um, my DMs are open, uh, direct message. Uh, and just send me your email and a time that works for you. I, I'm sending out a daily email in the evening each each night. I'm about to write one right now uh, where I list out the f times that I'm offering these uh, for the following day. So I'd love to have you come on. Um, it's really simple. You just click on the Zoom link, open the Zoom link, uh, and get guided in breath work. Nothing really you need to do except uh, bring an open mind and your breathing, which is already always there, right? So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Please have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Sharzad Bazadian, and she is the co-founder of a marketplace called World Inside Out, and it's a two-sided marketplace. And the first side of that market uh, is something called Bohoing, uh, which I got in touch with her about, uh, and it is the corporate wellness aspect of that marketplace, and it's based in LA. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited yeah. about this conversation. 
Cool. And uh, I sent you a, a document beforehand um, about the various themes that we can talk about. And you really connected with the creativity and stress, the relationship between stress and creativity. Uh, why does that draw you in? Um, well, I have been in that situation for five years and um, just being in the that situation, that situation, meaning that you are creating something creating something and just this roller coaster of going from um, stress to stress and thinking that you got it, but then realizing, no, it doesn't work. You have to create it again. You have to create momentum. And it's just, and all of the limitation and constraints as an um, immigrant entrepreneur actually um, creates a lot of, a lot more stress um, mm. to create results. That is so topical for me right now. Uh, the uh, what you you said about thinking you've got it and then it just changes. Uh, I feel like that's a more or less constant feeling I have right now, uh, and it's uh, very stressful. Uh, and it doesn't go away. There's no there's no there's no secret sauce to to making that go away. And maybe there shouldn't be. Maybe that's the whole point. But what do you think about that? Um, I think it levels up. Um, it's always there, mm -hmm. but it levels up and it gets um, easier. Um, and what really helps me is um, those moments of coming back to the same moment and like coming back to the same task that I did like two years ago and having two, two years ago, I was very stressed about it. It was something new and having to do it again, realizing it's so easy um, mm -hmm. and realizing that I've leveled up in my capacity to deal with stress and come up with new ideas to make it work um, is really affirming it really feels good but i agree with you the stress never goes away it just levels up and i guess you get uh habituated to it as well it just kind of becomes a normal aspect of creating yeah yeah um of course and you also learn to play with it um you learn to dance with it not to look at it as a factor that is there to bother you but just kind of separating the feeling of whether it's good or bad, but looking at it as a factor of, okay, how can I make it go away faster in a way that I can just deal with the situation? So it, it kind of just strengthens that muscle of working on their um, limitations, which I think limitations are actually the container for you to create. Um, otherwise, we get too comfortable in our comfort zones if it's not that too broad. Interesting. And what are some of the limitations that you're facing right now that are kind of defining or maybe constraints is a better word. Uh, and you might've used that. I don't remember, but what are some constraints or limitations you're currently facing on the business aspect that are helping you to make decisions in a wiser fashion? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, and it actually was working really well. Um, so I am, as an immigrant entrepreneur, which I pointed out earlier, I am on an entrepreneur visa, which is a non-immigrant one. You have to renew it every two years and I'm Persian, so I'm an Iranian citizen. So, um, there is this risk of what if the, the visa doesn't get renewed? So it gives me time limitation. That's for one. And the renewal is really depending on the results that you create in your business. And um, the second constraint that I have is um, money. The funds that I raised are um, kind of going to the, to the lower end. 
And these two alone have created so much um, results and, and momentum. So just because of these two, I have been in the situation of, oh, I need to make things happen. But but I have been in this situation for the past two years. What happened is in the last two years, I've been focusing on the stress and looking at it as something that's bothering me. I need to resolve this. But at the moment um, of practicing to deal with the stress and really suffering from it, at the moment, I got to a point of looking at the stress and being indifferent about it, looking at it as something that is going to be there no matter what, but waking up to create results because um, all of it is kind of temporary. Whether I create results or not, whether all these constraints go away or not, then I have to create results. And so this kind of opens up this whole new world of, okay, I'm going to do what's necessary and uh, I'm going to see what comes out of it. And so, so I just closed the sale with Netflix, which is huge for me. Um, And it's, it's a big deal with Bohoing and with world inside out. Um, And it certainly opens up a lot of doors But I see that as a result of the last week um, to look at, okay, what kind of resources do I have? Um, How much time do I have? What are the team members doing? What can we create? And let's just let the stress drive us, not to distract us of um, the, the kind of the annoyance that it's creating. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, and it's something I go into a lot. And I want to make sure we put a pin in the Netflix thing, because I'd love to do- talk more about that. But what you mentioned about stress is really interesting, because uh, I have no, when I ask people about stress, I don't mean it in a negative stress, which is most people view stress as negative stress. Uh, but then there's also something called you stress, which is positive stress. And there's also something there's just stress neutral, like neutral stress, which is gravity. Gravity is a form of neutral stress that is acting on us all the time. And without it, you know, if you go into space, you, you, you essentially, uh, the bones and the muscles and the connective tissue all kind of deteriorate because they don't have gravity acting on them. So it's like gravity is this permanent source of stress that we don't even realize. Um, and so, yeah, it's stress can, it's just, it's there. Uh, and, and the label that we put on it is not necessarily, um, helpful, although it can be useful at some points to turn on, put on a label. That is a very good point. I also want to add to that, that, um, something that I learned dealing with stress is there are, um, there are two types of stress. One is, um, controlled. The other one is the stress that takes over us. And the difference is, um, like, do you meditate? Yes. Yep. And I'm sure a lot of your audience also. The difference is when you meditate, you kind of can distinguish what's whether you, when you're meditating, you're not under the control of your mind when you practice enough you're actually using your mind as a tool to make things happen, right? And the difference of the two sides, the the two different um, stresses that I'm talking about, one controls you, the other one, you look at it as a limitation. And so you create tools to kind of um, go against it and create against it. And I think that's really important to distinguish and not to romanticize the concept of um, stress creating um, creativity because unless you're exercising enough, unless you're having a good nutrition and you're not you're sleeping well, then the stress can actually be very um, disturbing. It can really take control of 
um, your life and take your health away. So, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, so those those small little details that um, taking care of one's health and then going against um, stress and not letting the the stress to kind of eat you alive is really important. Yeah, it's uh, something that is up for me right now. I just recently uh, have come to a conclusion of a seven-year medical uh, issue that was actually the main reason that I started the show with this particular theme, um, and I got a solution to it. But the funny thing, the thing that I was not expecting at all uh, was that now I have this solution, and now my body is essentially saying, uh, telling me, finally able to relax but in that relaxation the stress was motivating me before and now it's not motivating me before i'm still doing the things that i need to do but it is way way harder to do those things um and i'm starting to realize that i probably have uh i mean i've i've i have it's probably ptsd and it's going to take a lot longer to fully heal that um and but it's uh, yeah, so it's it's up right now because that and and that's that's part of the thing I've been struggling with is that some stresses that you don't choose right like ch- children children who are have adverse childhood experiences as they're calling them now uh, don't really choose those experiences uh, I mean maybe in some sort of cosmic sense they do but not not in a like a personal individual sense uh, and and so ha- having uh, these stresses that you can't choose are really difficult and I wouldn't wish it on anybody because uh, like PTSD is no joke. Uh, yeah. Um, yep. For sure. Um, and how are you dealing with that? What are your tools to um, heal it? Yeah. And so I've, I mean, I've gone, I've run the gamut. I've tried pretty much everything. Um, uh, meditation. I've had a um, probably 10 year meditation practice. I've been doing yoga since I was 21. So 13 years of, uh, massage therapy has been the most helpful one. Um, uh, working with coaches, working with therapists, uh, pretty much done it all. If there's a modality out there, I've, I've, I've pretty much done it. And I've gotten to the point where I've realized that most modalities, like they're just kind of, uh, uh, temporary techniques that don't really solve the problem or don't get to the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so now I'm thinking, I'm, I'm actually thinking of, of doing some sort of residential program to kind of like uh, give me the space of like, uh, uh, and I've done 10 day meditation retreats, but it's probably not going to, I'm actually looking for, uh, if you know of anything or if you hear of anything, I'm looking for a kind of like a, a treatment center that focuses on healing PTSD through dance. And, and I might actually start it. That might be something I that, that I start. But, yeah. um, have you heard of anything like that? No, but that's what I was going to point out, dancing. Um, I will definitely keep that in mind and share with you. Um, what I wanted to uh, point out was what is the question that I wanted to present um, to you was what is your essence, right? Because I feel like there are all these methods out there that um, may or may not work, but then there is this this key of... Um, finding out what really brings me to that full expression of myself that when I'm doing that I'm in flow I'm not feeling time I'm not um I'm not thinking but my thinking is going with the flow and I'm and and I know it's it's like unless you've been in that situation this wouldn't make sense 
But for me, for example, dancing is very healing in that sense of um, it is creation, it is artistic, it is movement, and it just creates that flow. And um, just like meditation, sometimes it also brings up memories that I need to resolve through. And it can be medicine in that sense. Um, and that's dancing. For some people, it's painting. For some people, it's running. Um, it can be so different. And so what I do um, every every two, three years is I sit down, I clear like a whole day. I sit down, I put a paper in front of me and, and just kind of create circles of what are the things that make me happy? What are the things that bring me in a state of joy? And categorize them and then define like three main areas and find out what is the mutual area for all three of them and what kind of activities would um, fulfill our, all those three areas. And that would be my healing practice. And it changes every two, three days, uh, three years. Um, it's not the same thing when I look back at like five years ago and 10 years ago. Um, and I feel like all these methodologies are, are effective. They make things happen. But if we are doing them for a couple of years and they're not really healing it fully um, as individuals, we're different. So what is that essence that um, heals, heals me individually would be different than yours, but I'm not mm -hmm. in, in a place to talk um, to PTSD for sure. I'm just sharing mm -hmm. my personal experience. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting. Um, and were you actually asking me that question? What is my essence? Yes. <laughs> um, that's a good one. I should start asking people that, but, uh, I mean, it's hard cause that essence part that, uh, is not describable in words or words are poor, um, pointers to, to that essence that you're talking about. Hmm. Um, and I would say that, 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 that essence is that sense of awareness or as Ramana, Ramana Maharshi would say, a sense of I-ness, um, that that when you ask yourself the question who am i the that answer that arises not in the intellectual mind but in the in the in the feeling state of like oh i exist as this as this 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 feeling of like aware the watching the person witnessing all that all that's arising um mm -hmm. so i would say that mm -hmm. what were you going to say the experiencer the mm, yep the one that doesn't, it's, it's very interesting. It's uh, the one that doesn't really exist, but it's experiencing moment by moment. And that um, I like that a lot because it suddenly highlights the temporality of everything. And even the self, the I that is physical, the I that exists, but kind of just focuses on experience and the experiencing. And also um, going back to the subject of stress and creativity, as an experiencer, we can look at stress as a visitor, every thought that comes as a visitor uh, and creativity as a visitor. And in that way, we're just open to everything to come and go and looking at them and grabbing whichever one of them that we want to continue experiencing. That's great because that actually gets to the point of the creativity aspect, uh, uh, which is that creativity to me at its most basic form is happening at all the time. Uh, our brain is creating an image of of reality. It's it's an image of reality. When I open my eyes, it's not 
it's not reality that I see. It's an image of reality that my brain is basically um, creating uh, based on its the projections into my eyes. And then also not only with vision, that also happens with everything else. So like I've got in my skin, I've got in your skin, everybody's skin, they've got these mechanoreceptors, uh, these um, things that measure touch in all these different ways. And that adds to this image that my brain has. And then I have something called interoceptors where I can sense what's going on in my heart and my, in my belly. And those are also creating an image and it's all just an image and that image is being created. And then our thoughts and our feelings are also uh, being created as well. So like creativity is just this basic human thing. And most people assume that it's the, that it's this, this thing that you're creating outside of yourself, but well, I guess all of it's outside of itself. If we take that, if we take that witness, that witness perspective, but that is so good, so good. Hmm. Um, yeah, and how do you define creativity in the outer world? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple different categories that it fit into. Most people would assume art as the the main creative thing, whether that's writing, whether that's um, painting, whether that's music. Uh, but then I also go into business because I've started businesses before and business is, is a very creative thing as well that people don't associate creativity with. Um, I would like, yeah, what, what what's your answer to that question? I, I, I agree with you. I, um, to me, creativity and creation is expressing oneself fully in every moment and understanding that I am this um, this kind of um, wave of um, I'm ever changing. I'm different every moment by moment. And, and what I'm thinking about and how I'm expressing that, whether that's through art or that's through business, as long as it's my full expression, um, it's art, um, right? And then whatever I'm putting out in the world and creating is creativity. So I agree with you. Business is um, is art and, and, and it's full <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, embodiment. All right, let's get into what you're creating then because I, I, I'd love to know more. Uh, I only know the basic of what I saw on the website, which was uh, people working uh uh, in nature and outside, which is an idea I had a long time ago. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it's the, as we can talk about later, the idea has very little to do with the, the execution. So, um, so I'd love to hear more about what you're doing. Um, so what I am doing is, um, I want people to come outside. Um, and okay, let me tell you about world inside out and where the name came from. I basically started it thinking, how can I, enable people to step out of their comfort zone, to get a glimpse of what is out there in the world. Like just get out of the routine and experience life um, a little bit more. And um, I strongly believe that if we enable someone to get a glimpse of what's out there, a little a little bit more out there of what they experience day to day, um, getting a glimpse of that enables you to just go through the path and find out what's what's your full potentiality. And um, so World Inside Out is um, about creating experiences that get, give a glimpse out of your comfort zone, out of one's comfort zone. And so with um, the corporate wellness side, there is 
there's so much to be done for um, corporate world workplaces and um, employee engagement. And um, there are so many different services that make those happen. But to me, individually, what's important is not to be in the same place every day, all day. Um, I am, I am, I'm an adventurous person. I'm an outdoorsy person. And for my very short corporate life, I last day before I quit, I basically went to the to the patio. It was on like the sixth um, floor, and I looked down and I think, oh my god, if I have to be here for four more four more years, um, I will come up here. And I look down and I think it's more fun to jump out than to just take the stairs. So, <laughs> so just knowing myself and thinking about that, I thought. I can't do this. I have to go back and get full time on my idea, which at the time was Travel Tribe. So the next day I quit. Um, and I, I often look back at that and I think how many people are living the same life every day and they a little bit resonate with that mindset, meaning they, they just want to be outdoors. They don't want to do the same life every day over and over for 20, 30 years. And so um, with Bohoing and with the side of it, with the corporate wellness side of my business, we basically bring employees outdoors once a month. And we, um, we introduce this program to um, human resources, to corporations and tell them, hey, your employees can go outdoors, stay productive, even get more creative um, and have an experience of working instead of just another workday, another Monday. They can have an experience around working that's fun for them and engages them and makes them productive. And what we're going to do is every month we're going to take them to a new site. We're going to create uh, the whole office space. Uh, we're going to make sure there's Wi-Fi, there are seats, there are beautiful views, and there are going to be activities afterwards. You're probably by the beach or uh, by a lake or in the woods. And we're going to make sure those are available to people if that's what you want to do. So taking people outdoors. <laughs> that's cool. And, um, and so are you free to talk about that other side of the marketplace as well? Or are um, you not making that up? Um, the other side of the marketplace is, yeah, for sure. Um, the other side of the marketplace is we are doing, um, basically through gig economy, we are scaling this model in different cities. Um, previously on the other side, I was building travel tribe and travel tribe is a community of 4,000 digital nomads, global citizens, um, the other thing about uh, World Inside Out and my passion about bringing people into um, out of their comfort zone a little bit is um, travelers um, and hence digital nomads, people that travel a lot with the openness of experiencing other cultures. I'm not talking about tourism. Um, those kind of travelers understand that no matter what background we come from, we are all the same and we are all seeking love. We are all avoiding suffering. And we want to experience um, joy in life. So with that, all biases fall true. Um, and so to me, it has always been important. How can I enable travelers to stay location independent and um, continue their lifestyle, share their stories and enable more people to step out of their comfort zone? And so on the other side of the marketplace, we enable the community of um 
digital nomads, basically those that have been in the hospitality industry or have gained insight into it um, to host these experiences for corporations. Mm, interesting. Get paid. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and so you you got this Netflix Netflix deal. Are you have you been have you done sales before? I have done everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think every um, step of being an entrepreneur is sales, right? Fundraising is sales. Branding is sales. Um, every part of it is sales. Yeah. But have you ever done uh, sales to an organization before landing this client? Was Netflix your first client or did you have clients before that? I have had clients before that, uh, but not as big as Netflix. So Netflix is like the biggest one. What is the most stressful part of uh, uh, the sales process? Mm. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. The most stressful. I can give my own answer to that too. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear your answer. So yeah, while you think about yours, I'm going to say that uh, the most stressful thing is the, so I've now, whenever I go into a call where there might be an opportunity to do a sales, it's to, to do a sale. It's in that conversation, which is relatively high stakes. You, you are, there is always the opportunity that something could arise from it, but we don't know what that opportunity is. Uh, yet we're also supposed to display confidence that we can do this thing. So there's this mixture of um, displaying confidence to somebody, but at the same time remaining uncertain and remaining humble and remaining all this other thing. So it's like these it's this fine line of essentially like being open in this uncertain place, yet at the same time, transmitting a sense of I can do this and I can do that. So you can trust me in order to do this. Right. Um, so I, I just re I just recently had a, a sales call and I totally uh, uh, not screwed it up, but it was I learned a lot. Uh, and uh, and because I was really nervous about that, it was a you know it was a big client or it was a, a big um, potential client and. Uh, and so I started talking instead of asking questions and figuring out what their problem is. I just started talking. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and that was, it just kept on, it was like a feedback loop where it was, where it was, where it was really, uh, uh, not the best. So, so that was, that's the most stressful thing for me right now about it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so as you were saying that, what, um, what I remembered about my process is, um, that at some point I decided that I am really going to only do what really makes sense to me. I am only going to create the service, the product that is my true self. Like if I am providing a service for you and some part of it doesn't make sense to you, instead of customizing it and saying, okay, I'm going to store it, I'm going to make sure that it resonates with you because I want your account. Your account is a big account. Um, instead of doing that, mm -hmm. I would just say, Stuart, I don't think this is going to create value for you because that's not my specialty, right? And so in that sense, I'm, I'm really focusing on um, what creates value for me because it's my fullest expression and also for the client. And in that, in that way, I'm really, because um, previously I would get stressed about um, 
just making sure that I that it's perfect and it satisfies every aspect that the client wants to um, cater to. And then it would become very much more stressful to make sure that that happens, right? Um, but but right now, ensuring that the client is aligned with me for the service and also the values that they want to create for their um, employees are aligned with what we are creating. It just makes it so much more easier and smoother and uh, more conversational, you know? Yep, totally. And have you read the book? There's a great book, uh, uh, Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work by the guys who did uh, uh, um, Basecamp, the software called Basecamp. And wow. they did a very similar thing where they they were they had a lot of customers. They were, you know, top of the food chain in terms of startup uh, hype. Uh, and then they were like, nope, I don't want to, we're, we're going to slim this down to the most basic thing that fits both our interest and our customer's interest. Um, uh, and, and now they just have a really good business. They haven't raised money. Uh, all their employees are super happy. They, they have, you know, tons of time off, like, and it's just like, it, I really highly recommend reading that book, particularly because you just said it, if you haven't already read it before. I haven't. Yeah. I will take mm-hmm. a note to definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have you spent much time in Silicon Valley? Yes, I lived there for five years. And how long have you lived in LA? <laughs> um, since December. Since December, okay. What have you noticed? Uh, in? Uh, so why did you move to LA? So, okay, I was in San Francisco for five years. I moved to New York then. And um, then I was a little nomadic. I lived in um, Seattle, Denver, Denver, very short, Miami and Austin. And then I moved to L.A. And I I kind of visited L.A. And then I was like, this is it. I am staying here. Mm. (laughs) Uh, And so I want to I want to start digging into what the current state of the creative industry or technology industry is in Los Angeles. Uh, Is that something you'd like to talk about? Yeah, for sure. so what I like about LA is it is a really sweet spot between um, creative expression and technology. Not in every crowd, but you have that. You have access to that. Um, Silicon Valley can be very focused on tech and it's very tech heavy. And I really appreciate that. But that's not the space that I am in. In LA, um, there is this strong artistic creative side and then there is the strong tech side um and there is so much opportunity to blend those and create experiential um events experiential technologies um, and there's so much to do there Mm. does that answer your question uh yes well and i'm trying to and i'm trying to get a I don't, I'm not looking for, for a particular answer, but I'm trying to get my listeners and my, my own understanding of Los Angeles and because it's such a big city. It's a huge city, tons of traffic, beach, uh, very creative people, like you said. There are a lot of artists. The, the, from what I remember last, the, New York has the number one uh, absolute artist. Uh, Los Angeles has number two. And then Santa Fe, New Mexico has number three, which is really interesting because they're only a size of 100,000 100, people in Santa Fe and have that, that many artists that they can compare with. 
um, New York and, and Los Angeles, but so Los Angeles and it's always, it's got good weather. Um, and it's so close to San Francisco that you're not really far away from the a meeting if you need to have it happen. So it seems like a really cool place to uh, build a company. Um, and there's a huge market um, over mm. here. <laughs> yeah, um, huge market for everything. Basically, you can try out um, any product and prototype it and, and, and take it to the market, even just like one little area like Santa Monica in LA and get a sense of how would that work in a bigger scale of like larger Los Angeles area. Um, mm. um, I like that about it a lot. Mm. And um, what you said about Santa Fe was interesting. They, they actually have the largest number of art galleries after New York. Mm. So New York is the first mm. one. They're the second one that really, I spent some time over there and I really, have you been to Meow have I have. I used to work there. No way. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's so, so cool. Mm -hmm. What did you do there? Uh, so I set up a yoga and meditation program for all the employees. So they were about, uh, it was pretty early when they started. Um, and uh, so I set up this program where uh, anybody, any, any of the employees could come to me for a yoga or a meditation session. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, I mean, the, uh, like I love, I love Meow Wolf and I've, I've done a lot of interviews with the people who, who started it and, and worked there. And uh, they actually, they're hugely influential in this podcast as well. in this creativity versus stress, because they are uh, not your typical startup employees. They were all artists for eight years before they, they turned it into a business. So they're not like the startup employees in San Francisco who all kind of really are sharp in their understanding of equity and sharp in their understanding of like, um, what is a business and, you know, what their, what, what their interests are They're I'm the, uh, um, in the best possible way. They're, they're uh, a little bit naive. Um, but that's, and they, and they had a lot of stress, uh, um, and, uh, and they were all super creative, like the, the most creative people I had, I had ever come in contact with. So it was, uh, that, that's, I contribute a lot of this podcast to, to Meow Wolf itself. That is such a good point. Um, yeah, I can see your point with how stress really creates, um, increases creativity in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, go for it. Um, just, um, yeah, that's very interesting that you were um, part of Meow Wolf. I think Meow Wolf really sets the tone for the artistic, um, it's, a, it's a big attraction in Santa Fe right now for artists. It's huge. Yeah. And they're opening one in Denver and Las Vegas. And eventually I think they'll go to LA too. Um, LA, it seems like the perfect market for, for what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So does, does Netflix have an office in, um, in Los Angeles? Is that how you got with them? Or are you guys doing it? Or are you doing it remotely? They have an office in LA. Yes. They have more mm -hmm. than 3000 employees over here. And, um, and how I connected with them, I think I just reached out. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I just reached That's out. Cool. And, um, and later I realized, oh, I have, I actually know uh, friends from my school that are now employees in Netflix, but I already connected with um, these. <laughs> Sending them an email or like on Twitter or what? Email. Email, interesting, yeah. yeah. That's been the coolest thing I've learned from doing this podcast so far is that uh, most of my guests and pretty pretty big name guests as well are, have come from Twitter. Um, I haven't had to use my network at all. I've just kind of reached out on Twitter and and like a lot of people say yes, uh, which is pretty cool about the internet. 
Um, that'll actually, I learned kind of this attitude um, early on. I was really lucky to learn this um, in the MBA program. So eight years ago, I moved from Iran to the U.S. And one week after my MBA started in San Francisco State. And we had this business case study about Heidi Roizen. Do you know her? No. So Heidi Roizen, she's, um, she's a big, big player in Silicon Valley. She's an investor and one of the very early founders in the um, internet era. And she's, she's very influential in that crowd, but she's kind of on the back end. The business case study was about how she creates, um, she basically sets the tone in Silicon Valley by knowing all the right people. And she creates all these events to bring the right people together. And she designs the guest list in a way that creates value for every person that's in that event. And really magnificent things happen after her events. But generally, she's a badass investor in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. right? So just reading the business um, case study, I thought, I love this woman. I see what about me is her and I want to meet her. I just reached out to her and she replied immediately. (laughs) She said, "Um, okay, I'm very busy, but let's go for a walk two months from now um, at 7 a.m. I was this is amazing that I can meet anyone I want to meet. Um, just like that, being in Silicon Valley. So having that experience early on really set the tone for my the rest of my adventure, just really knowing that whatever I want to do, I just need to reach out. And I really love that about um, Silicon Valley. I need to say that, that um, this mindset in Silicon Valley, that um, no matter how busy you are, no matter how successful you are, I see more and more people making themselves available to younger entrepreneurs, they really give their time and they give back to the younger generation to just help them and mentor them whenever it makes sense. And I think I've, I, I'm going to present something uh, uh, that uh, is interesting to me. I, um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, skeptical that it is totally out of altruism, uh, although it, a lot of it is motivated by altruism. Uh, I think the real reason a lot of people do that in Silicon Valley is because they've recognize, which is an insight that most other people don't have, is they've recognized that uh, most value is created by people who don't have a name yet. Uh, So if you're open to people who don't have a name, but who take the first step and message you, um, then you can actually get a lot of value as well. That's most venture capitalists. I I think most of the best venture capitalists keep their networks somewhat open uh, so that they uh, so that they can meet people who are reaching out uh, and kind of keep themselves open because openness allows that opportunity to flow in as well. That is such a good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so simple, um, but so effective. That's so true. Yep. Uh, it's also very difficult and tiring because I do it with this podcast, particularly if you're an in- introvert. I, I, I essentially keep myself wide open. Like if somebody sends me a message, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to answer if I, if I, if I can. Um, uh, but it's also stressful cause I want to, I want to remain open and I, I, it, a lot of it is motivated by this altruism, but I'm not going to lie. It's also motivated by, by connecting with people who are, are going to do important things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, but it's stressful at the same time because I want to I want to answer to a lot, and then you also there's another stress too, which is that uh, 
I've learned that other people are agents. So there's this kind of like agency thing, you know, like a dog has somewhat agency. It can bark, it can eat and stuff like that. But a human being has agency on a lot of things. Um, and so when you're open yourself to uh, other, other people, other people have a lot going on. And that's both good and it's also bad because uh, uh, a lot of times that openness can allow you to get into situations that can be very, very painful or very, very um, pleasurable. Uh, and it's hard to tell the difference when you're opening yourself up. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing or have anything to say on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the openness that you're talking about, are you talking about specifically about your podcast guests or what what sort of openness are you talking about? Pretty much because because the way I view my podcast is it's a way of, of just basically getting to know people um, uh, either personally or professionally um, in a way that is kind of uh, uh, outside of all of that. So so the the podcast is basically the first step. If I'm interested in somebody, if what the, if what in what they're doing, uh, the podcast will basically be the first step. But if somebody doesn't want to come on the podcast, then uh, then I'll you know I, I invite them for a walk in the park or go to improv or any any of these other things. So it's like, um, so it's openness, just in general. And if somebody sends me a message on Twitter, like people are sending me messages on Twitter now these days, and it's just like. Um, just like responding to them and being open. And if they have a question kind of, you know, there's a limit cause I can't answer everyone. So, but, but, right. but, um, but they're, they're, uh, the, I am trying to just be as open as possible um, because it makes life interesting. I think, I, I don't know, but it, I, at times past when I have been that open as well, I think it's, I think the mistake I've made in the past is that I'm open and automatically trusting um, and that automatically trusting, I have, I have, I have shifted that. So I don't trust people. I'm warm to every, I try to be warm to everyone. Uh, I am not trusting of everyone anymore. That resonates. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think of it as controlled randomness. Um, mm. I, I used to be very open to, um, as you explained and, um, later realized that is not really the best strategy to go. And I think as we kind of look more into the things that we've learned before and the, the mistakes, basically the, the experiences that we gather and what didn't work and what worked, we kind of get more sensitive into and more sh- sharper about um, the choices we mm. make about that. Uh, but yeah. what fascinates me is, have you noticed how those life-changing moments, when you stay open and when you show up, um, those life-changing and, and you do that so intentionally just looking for that life-changing moment to happen showing up staying open but that moment that you kind of look away stay open show up that life-changing mo- moment comes out of nowhere mm. and yeah. it's, it's basically when you let go of controlling that this has yeah. to happen this has to happen it actually shows up in its best mm. way possible mm-hmm. no arguments there that that is definitely that's the that's the most interesting thing uh, they, uh, it, it happens a lot. Like I, I want various things and, and it's funny because the things that I end up wanting a lot are usually the things that don't happen. Uh, whereas the things that I don't want, but I'm grateful for, uh, or don't necessarily seek, I guess, but I'm grateful for, uh, end up just coming naturally. But it's, there's some, it seems to be a property of the universe that, that which you kind of, uh, it's, it's difficult because language doesn't do it sometimes, but if you create a lack inside your head of what you don't have, 
you, it creates a lack where no such lack exists. Because if I think about it, I have everything I want right now. I have, or I have everything I need. Um, I have my food, I have shelter, I have, I have all these different things. So it's like, um, anytime that I'm in my mind thinking, oh, but if I could just, uh, well, let me think, think of a, an example that is, yeah, money. So if I just had uh, this much money, then I would, I'd be happy. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not making as much money as I want to, but I have enough money for my food. I have enough money for my, my basic necessities. So it's like, um, and that creates a lack, which actually seems to create that lack of money and, and not make it come through, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I have a question about LA. It sounds like you're a dancer. I think we originally connected off of consciousness hacking. Um, mm. What is the ecstatic? Do you do ecstatic dance? That's yeah, ecstatic dance. Okay. <laughs> what is how? Uh, and I imagine that you did it in San Francisco as well, right? Yes, that's yeah. What is venue? Los Angeles is your favorite? No, San Francisco, the one at uh, oh, okay. Made Wheels. Yep. yep. Yeah. That's the one I go to. How, what is it like in LA? Where is it in LA? It's in Westwood. Um, mm -hmm. It's a venue in Westwood, and um, it's great. I love the organizers. They are they they just they create a really great container for people to show up mm -hmm. and dance. Um, mm -hmm. It's not comparable to the church at San Francisco, though. Mm -hmm. San Francisco, yeah. for those of you the the listeners that haven't been to. It has really tall ceilings and these beautiful windows of the church. So you kind of are in this container of a church, but everyone is dancing. Um, it's beautiful. Nothing comes it is, to that yet. It is truly, truly special. <laughs> I once saw, it was like a few months ago, uh, some like it's this beautiful church with these high ceilings, as as you mentioned, and these high ceilings have a deco of, uh, of various, you know, um, Christian myths and stories uh and one time like a couple months ago some one of them actually fell off and like uh nobody got hurt but it actually like fell all the way down no um, way yeah it hit plaster everywhere um but nobody got hurt so it's fine oh. um yeah and are there any other kind of like dancing innovations that are happening in um los angeles that, besides ecstatic dance not that i'm part of but mm -hmm. the dancing, the, dan the traditional dancing that's not innovated at all, but there's a lot to learn from is tango. <laughs> mm. You do tango? Yes. Have you explored uh, it? Yeah, I have. I, uh, one of my favorite uh, dance, partner, partner dancing has been huge. I, like two years ago, I got an ecstatic dance. And then for the last year, partner dancing has been really big for me. And the number one, one I'm doing are uh, Zouk, a uh, Brazilian form of partner dance. And uh uh, Mission Fusion, which is an unstructured partner dance, similar to ecstatic dance, but with a partner. Um, and then one of my favorite, the person who started Mission Fusion, her name is Emily Webb, who I'm going to interview very soon. She um, started, or she is a tango uh, uh, and Krav Maga instructor. Uh, so, uh, but so she, she, she teaches tango and uh, she's just such a good teacher. So I went to her workshop and she offered a tango workshop. It's hard. It's really, it's a um, the way that the, the, it seems to be that there's like a flow of dance in tango where everybody's moving forward until the, until somebody stops and goes backwards and then it kind of reverberates back. Is that true that it happens in a circle every time? Um, with tango, the, what I really love about it is 
once you let go of the steps of how the steps should be and thinking about it, it actually becomes perfect mm-hmm. because your body knows how to follow. And I, I, I'm, I'm the follower in the dance, right? So if the leader knows how to lead and we're, both of us are not in our head, so I can actually trust the flow, then it kind of comes out of your body and through that flow very beautifully. And what really stands out for me with tango is practicing when to lead and when to follow. Because mm-hmm. even when you're following, you're kind of leading the leader of how to be followed, how to lead and how to follow. You know what I'm saying? It's just so, it's just so subtle. It's, um, and, and what fascinates me about it is your body, the, your body's intelligence is, is, is so high. It just knows how to move, how to, how to create that harmony. And uh, like that hour of dancing is a practice of trusting a partner, trusting yourself and trusting the flow and realizing that you're smarter than you think. And you can, you can, you can trust yourself more than you thought you were able to. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. And, uh, it, it was so interesting once I got that part, cause I'm pr- uh, primarily a, a leader in, in when I'm dancing and, uh, it, at first for the first six months, I thought it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to lead, I'm leading. So like, no, uh, you know, that's, that's what's happening. But then I realized, oh, and then I, and then I had a really strong follow who was really good at following. And she, I probably also had a uh, experience leading as well. And she added a movement and I was like, wait, what's that? I'm supposed to be leading. And, and then she, she added this movement and I was like, oh, oh, there's input as well. So it's like this, it's like within this lead follow dichotomy, there is also layers of that as well. And times where the leader can follow a follows initiation of some other movement that turns it into this beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, it's, really, it's very cool. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we got a couple minutes left. What is one thing that you have read, an idea you've come across, a cool video you've seen, anything that has helped you become more creative and less stressed, what would it be? More creative and less stressed. I, okay, let me tell you, I have, um, I have this, um, sign above my bed that says do what's necessary then do what's possible and then you'll be on your way to do the impossible and that's been above my bed for the last month basically every morning I just open my eyes to this sign and the first thing I read before my emails and before my texts is this right Mm -hmm. it puts my mind back into the mindset of doing what's necessary first before doing thinking about what's possible, I have this tendency of overwhelming myself as a creative with all the things that are possible. And I um, used to really easily get lost in all the details of all the possibilities because I could see, oh my God, there are all these things that we can do. And actually we can do all of them at the same time, by taking the steps that are mutual among all of them and really getting lost in that loop. Um, but this reminder is really good in organizing um, what's necessary. I think, answering your question more directly, I think 
those of us that have found our creative flow and really find joy in creating, um, we are creative. Like there is, there is nothing that can make us more creative or less creative. It's just having the space to create, right? Um, and what really is the, is the trap for me is getting lost in the creative energy and losing sense of productivity in the sense of there are things that need to be done first before you add like the cherry on top, right? Mm. So discipline is um, really important for me to just contain the stress and also let the creativity flow um, regularly. Yeah, there's two things that, that reminded me of. Uh, the first is using language as a tool. You had mentioned something about meditation and using the mind as a tool rather than being con controlled by the mind. And that was really beautiful. And then it seems like you do a similar thing with that thing above your head where you uh, use language as a tool. And the, what does language do? It focuses, it, yeah. it dives deep in and it, and it, and it motivates and it, and it uh, discerns and discriminates. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned, which is really cool. Uh, see if I got it. Oh yeah. The creativity, it seems like we are all creative and essentially a lot of times it comes down to, um, removing blockages to the already existing creativity. So removing resistance to that, which kind of flows from you naturally, which I thought was a beautiful point. Yeah. Thank you. Also using language as a tool, I want to add this, um, um, I am also curious to hear how you started a podcast. Maybe I can ask you later, but I think just speaking language out and writing it really, um, really helps the mind to function in a more structural way. And, and what I do as a tool to kind of do that to my mind is um, I, I do morning pages um, and if I can, if, if I have a space, I also write at night. And morning pages really help me. When I wake up, I sit um, at a computer. Actually, I don't write on paper for that. Many people say write on paper. It's better. But at my computer, and I basically write whatever comes up. And they are totally irrelevant. I don't have to make sense of them. I don't have to read them later. But what happens is after three pages of just writing whatever comes up, my mind is clear. I suddenly, all the, all the important ideas come up, not, not the noise, not the, not the clutter. All of that is cleared. And so I can think more straightforward. And when I write in the evening, um, I basically get the juice of the day, all the ideas that came up um, and if I'm not writing them, they're not on top of my mind. But when, when you use language to kind of articulate them, your mind kind of is like, oh, and don't forget this one. And remember that idea that you thought of in the afternoon? Put that in. And it kind of structurizes the, the, the mind in that way. And another way that I do this is uh, by speaking. Speaking is actually way more powerful than writing for me individually when I... Um, when I go um, for a run or um, while driving, actually, when ideas come up, I just um, turn on the recorder and I start talking. And these ideas start to um, bring themselves into form without me actually knowing what I'm talking about. But when I say it, I'm like, that was good. I should write that down. But good thing I'm recording it. So it really helps me think better and 
um, structureize my mind. Yeah, that uh, that is very very important for why I started the podcast, or it actually is an important byproduct of why I started of uh, of starting the podcast. Is it allows me to access that space? What you're talking about. Uh, over on a daily basis of just starting a sentence and having no idea where I'm going to finish it, but kind of trusting, trusting that something interesting is going to come out of it. Um, and, uh, there, one of my favorite books, Job's body, which is a manual for body workers. Um, highly recommend. He is a philosopher who also studied the neuroscience and then also became a body worker and combines all those three things together. And he says that we have this beautiful ability as human beings to think and have abstract thoughts, but unless we, turn those abstract thoughts into something, uh, they are gone forever. And there are only three ways that we can do that. Writing, speech, or acting. Uh, and dancing is that acting. But also there is this uh, improv element where you can also uh, speak. Uh, it's very similar to dancing, but it's you can speak through your body as well. Um, and if I, my goal is to be proficient at expressing myself in all three of those. That is... A beautiful goal. Uh, that is very exciting. And you do improv too, right? Yep. Yeah, I love improv. Yeah. That that just feels really good. Improv, writing, yeah. and speaking. That feels really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just to wrap up, is how can people find out more about what you're doing and find out more about your company? People, thank you for asking that. People can um, mm-hmm. find me on um, social media at Sharzadian. And um, do you want me to spell that? Yeah, probably probably better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Shar Zadian is S H A R Z A D I A N um, everywhere on social media, and also um, bohoing uh, b o h o i n g dot com um, is the corporate wellness where we take employees out outdoors, um, and also. Um, yeah, sharzadian.com is where all of this is. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation.